You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. So thankful to be with you guys, as always, every Sunday. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Riz. That is a nickname. My name is Ryan, but you can go by Riz. That's what I go by. So uh, I'm the pastor here at Reality Honolulu and just excited for what God is doing. We've been in church for about seven months or so. We started last October and um, just excited to be digging into God's word and worshiping him and God just creating community and us being able to be the body of Christ together. And so thankful that you're here and excited to continue to get into the word of God with you. And so we are in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8. We're finishing chapter 8 today, so you can turn with me there. Mark 8, 27, and we're dipping into chapter 1, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And so um, if you have a Bible, turn with me. And if you don't, you can share with someone next to you. But Mark 8, 27 through chapter 9, verse 1 is our text today. Um, Why don't you read it with me? It says this. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And when they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist and some Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and leading priests and the teachers of religious law that he would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. When he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If anyone of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own and try, excuse me, you may give up your, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. And if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in this adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you've preserved it for us, that it's living and active, that it's for us in this room today, that it's relatable and relevant and powerful. And we ask, God, that you would minister these truths to ourselves, that each of us would hear from you, that Holy Spirit, that you you would soften our hearts right now, to receive what you have for us this morning. 
God, we, we gather here for you and for your sake to hear from you. And so, God, I pray that it would be your words coming out of me, that it wouldn't be my own, that you would just use me as a tool, as a vestal, vessel in the master's hands this morning, that you'd anoint my lips. And God, we want to hear from you, the one true living God, what your word says. And Jesus, we pray this morning that we would answer in our own hearts this morning this question of who you are. That as you ask this to your disciples and the crowds around you, that we would hear this same question and that we would be able to say that you are the Messiah, that you are Lord, that you are Savior. And so God, would you, would you speak to us? Would you use this time for your glory? We give it to you. We ask that you'd have your way. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, we're just about the halfway point in the book of Mark. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Mark, kind of taking it slow and just really digging in to see what God has. And as we mentioned last week, if you were here, it's a pivotal time in the book of Mark. It's kind of a turning point, so to speak, from like act one to act two or part one to part two of the book. Uh, thus, thus far, we've seen um, the full spectrum of Jesus performing these incredible, miraculous things. Um, Jesus comes on the scene, and his, his public ministry has started, and he is healing every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. His demons are fleeing. He's casting out demons. Um, he's providing miraculously for thousands of people food. He's raising people from the dead. He's forgiving sins. I mean, it is going viral. People from, from far away, um, I mean, days' journeys are coming to see him. And really, the purpose, the reason why he's doing this is just to show the Jews and the Gentiles alike, to show humanity that he is the Messiah, the promised one, the one they had been waiting for. And more importantly, he was showing them, not only in word but in deed, that he was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh, God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. But now it's, it's a turning point. That's what we've seen thus far. And from here on out to the end of um, the book of Mark, Mark 16, probably for another seven or eight months, right? What we're seeing, every event that we see going forth is moving towards Jerusalem. It's moving towards his betrayal and his, his, um, his execution on the cross, his crucifixion. Everything that he came to do is leading up. It's going towards that point now. Every event is pointing and leading towards Jerusalem where Jesus would die on a cross to save us from our sins. And this text today centers around Peter's, the Apostle Peter, uh, Peter's famous confession of Christ. It's this famous, like, the line drawn in the sand moment where Jesus outright asked Peter, the same fisherman that, that Jesus first called from the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4. He called him to himself. He's been with him, walking with him, eating with him, sleeping with him. I mean, he has seen Jesus face to face in what he's doing. And the line is drawn on the sand. And Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? It's this dramatic turning point um, in this famous confession of Christ. And what we see here today is what it, what, it's, what it means for Jesus to be Messiah and what it means for us that identify as followers, what that means for us. 
And the truth today is, is of utmost practical importance. It really is because it tells us what we must believe and confess and accept about Christ and what we must understand and embrace for ourselves if we do want to follow him. So it's really laying out very clearly what it means to be a Christian or a follower or as scripture would say, someone that calls upon the name of the Lord. So it's not only word, but it's a lifestyle backing up that belief is what we're going to see today. And so it's this pivotal, central, famous confession of Peter drawing a line in the sand what it means to follow Jesus and really who Jesus is to all of us. So there's kind of three, three little things happening. One is um, Jesus' interaction, this initial question. The second is, you know, Peter's answer and, and, and Jesus' answer back of what Jesus must do. And then also is what this means for his followers. So really three, three parts. Who is Jesus? What Jesus must do, like going to the cross. And if we believe that he is who he said he was, then there's implications for us. And so the last part of our text today is, well, what that means for us. It's an amazing, incredible thing that Jesus is Messiah and Jesus is Lord, but what that means for us is laid out here. And so verses 27 through 30, so the first couple of verses of our text today, Jesus prompts this, this dialogue, this discussion. They're walking along um, the area of Caesarea Philippi, which is really significant because it was where um, specifically the god of Pan, this, this demonic deity, was worshipped. And so people would go to Caesarea Philippi, and there's these kind of notches in this big cliff there where they had idols and things that you could go and you could sacrifice things at, you could worship, you could bring your problems to. And so it's this really dramatic scene of, of, of the worship of other gods is what's happening in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus and his disciples are walking past this place and he asked them, who do people say that I am? What have you heard? Right, because Jesus has been doing all this, but the disciples in a lot of ways have been with the people. Right, they've been with the crowds, they've been hearing the word on the street, so to speak. And Jesus asked them, what have you been hearing? What do people believe? What are they saying? And they begin to answer, well, it's, it's, it's varied, there's a lot of different opinions who you are, Jesus. Maybe you are, uh, you're, you're John the Baptist. Oh, maybe you're Elijah. You know, maybe you're the Old Testament Elijah. He's come back and uh, maybe you're Elijah. Maybe you're John the Baptist. Or maybe you're just one of the other prophets. There's so many opinions of who Jesus was back then. So many opinions. There was discussions. There was, people were trying to figure out, like, who is this man doing what he's doing? So he asks, they shortly explains, and then Jesus asks them, okay, that's fine what the crowds are saying, but, but who do you say that I am? This is his inner circle. These are his closest guys. These are his people that he's gathered to himself, and he asks them, okay, that's fine what other people are thinking about, but who do you say that I am? And here at last, Peter begins to answer this big question like correctly or, or rightly. He begins to. He, he's starting to see Jesus more clearly. He's starting to understand a bit more. 
Over the last few weeks, we've seen that the disciples just were missing Jesus. They were missing who he was. They were missing what he was doing. But in this moment, Peter asks, Peter answers, and he says, you're the Messiah. You are the Christ. That's, that's, that's his quick answer to Jesus right there. And Peter, the word that he uses when he says, you are the Christ, actually means anointed one. He says, Jesus, you are the anointed one. See, kings were traditionally anointed with oil at their coronation. When they were crowned king, in that, in that um, celebration, you were crowned king, you were anointed with oil. And this word Christos that he uses here, is, it means anointed one, or even more, it means Messiah. It means king of kings, the king who was coming to set everything right. When Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, what he's saying is he's saying, you are the person that every Jew has been waiting for for hundreds of years. You know, see, 800 years prior, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that there would be the Messiah and the Messiah would come and he would come and bring freedom to the captives. What Peter is saying here when he says that you are the Christ, you are Christos, is he saying, you are the king of kings. You are the Messiah. You are the son of God. He's saying everything that is true. He's saying everything that is true. You are the Messiah, Peter says. And in Matthew's account of this same thing, right? So in Matthew's account of this same thing that happens in Mark, Jesus responds overjoyed. It actually tells us a bit more there at Matthew 16, verses 17 through 18, um, it says, Jesus said to Peter, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven has. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. And so Jesus is, Jesus is affirming Peter's answer. He says, no one on earth told you this. My father who's in heaven told you this truth. In other words, God revealed who I was to you and that you do believe, you do know that I am the Christ. But this question of who Jesus is wasn't just for Peter, wasn't just for the disciples. This is the most important question that you could be asked for all of humanity, every tongue, tribe, and nation that has ever lived, young or old, rich or poor. The question of who Jesus is, is not only the single most important question, but the answer that you give to that. What you do believe about Jesus is the most important question. To be honest, everything else, every search for any type of knowledge to understand who we are and what we're all here for and what we're designed for pales in comparison to who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And this is what this conversation hinges on right here. Because everyone, most everyone, has an opinion. If you've heard about Jesus, if you know him at all, you have an opinion about him. You do. Christian, non-Christian, just anyone in the world, if you were to, to bring up this idea of Jesus, if you've heard the name of Jesus or you have some idea, if you ask anyone on the street, Who's Jesus? You're going to get a whole spectrum, right? One person is going to say, well, he was just a really good moral person. 
He had a great set of, of morals, and he should, we should just follow those morals. There's really good ones. Also, some people might just say, well, he's just a, he was just a Jewish rabbi. He's a good one, awesome one. He's great. But he was just a Jewish rabbi, just like any other religious leader from any other religion. Some people might say, he's a crazy man. Like, he's a lunatic, honestly, claiming to be God and claiming that he can forgive sins. He's a lunatic. He's crazy. Even his family thought he was crazy. He even died on the cross because he was blasphemous. He claimed to be God. Who claims to be God? Some people would say, well, I, I don't really know or I don't really care. I, I don't know. I mean, he's just Jesus. Like, he's just, just like, I'm Riz. Like, what? I, I don't really know what you mean by that. And some of us obviously believe that he is Lord. We believe that he is way more than just those things or, or not those things. We believe that he is Lord. He is the son of God. He is God incarnate. But a lot of people, for most people, when they think of Jesus, many people just think he's just another historical figure like any other with not much significance on our own personal life, right? Um, he lived 2,000 years ago in Israel and yeah, that's a Christian thing. Why does that at all have any significance who Jesus is to me or not? And that is much of the world's concept of Jesus, right? I mean, unless you kind of grew up in the church or unless you're a believer, you probably have this idea of like, does it really matter who I think Jesus is or not? And as much as we may not think it's important who Jesus is, it actually is the most pivotal thing. It's the most important thing that we must figure out. It is not something that we can put on the let's figure out some other time list. Because a lot of people would say that too. It's like, well, I don't know. I'll figure that religion stuff out. I'll figure like, I'll figure out the Jesus stuff later. The reason why you can't do that is because every single one of us will stand before God and we'll, we'll stand before him on the account of how we've lived our life and largely what we've believed and have we trusted in Jesus or not. That's actually all that matters at the end of the day when we are absent from this room, when we pass away, when we die, we will be before God. And we will stand before God. And there's only actually one thing you want to hear in that moment. It's well done, good and faithful servant. I knew you. Everything hinges on the fact whether we put our trust, hope, and faith in Jesus or we didn't. If we, we believed in Jesus and we realized that we're, we're, we're fallen from grace and we're sinners and we need a savior. And if we believe that and we repent of our sins and we trust in the Lord and, right, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all that matters. And the reason why we have to figure out and figure out this question of who Jesus is is that whether you want to grasp it or not. I know we, a lot of times we don't like thinking about it because it's scary. But we're not promised tomorrow. I mean, we're not. And let's be honest. We live in like a really crazy place. Like think of like what's happened the last four months in Hawaii. January, missile, fake missile alert. 
Everybody thought, like, hey, we're dying. We're, we're, we're dead. Then there's massive floods, and there's earthquakes, and there's volcanoes erupting. Like, lava is going down streets. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, we, we live in this, like, very amazing, but just crazy place to live, right? And after every time I hear something, like, wow, like, this isn't crazy. It's like, dude, you just got to know Jesus. Because we're not promised tomorrow. And, I mean, you guys know this, even though we may not fully live it out, but, but the truth is, is that we aren't, like, promised, like, anything can happen to any of us at any time. And I know that's like, oh, man, that is so scary. But if you know Jesus, it's actually not. Because if we do put our faith and trust and hope in him, to be absent from the body is act to be present with the Lord in heaven for all of eternity, freed from everything that's gone wrong on this earth. There is so much hope in Jesus when we know him. We do not need to fear these things. But we believe, Scripture would tell us, that the most important question that we have to wrestle with and figure out is who Jesus is to us personally. That's what's happening here. The crowds, the disciples, Peter, they're wrestling with who Jesus is to them. And so what happens is, is he goes on and, and they have this conversation and then Jesus explains a bit more what he must do. Yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I did come to save the world. But I need to suffer a bit first. And so in verses 31 through 33, Jesus explains to them really his true mission, what he must do. And he starts off by saying, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, must suffer many terrible things first. And he actually goes on and he says, I must be killed, but then I'll rise from the dead. And Peter just does not receive this. <laughs> Peter does not receive this. And there's this interaction where Peter actually like rebukes Jesus. Like, Jesus, stop. You're wrong. That's not right. You're the Messiah. You're not going to die. You're crazy right now. And that word that Peter's using, rebuking, is the same word that Jesus did to demons out of people. Like he's like forcibly telling Jesus, you're wrong. And there's this interaction. But what happens is, is that after Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the, way, the reason why Jesus responds to this, the reason why it would be appalling or shocking to Peter, and the reason why he would rebuke Jesus, is what he's saying is, Yes, I am the king, this is Jesus, but I'm nothing like the king that you're expecting. You think I'm this big, victorious, military king that's going to come and it's going to remove all of Rome and it's going to bring you political and social freedom. And Jesus says, that's not how it's going to be. The way in which I will save the world is actually to suffer. And the reason why this is significant, specifically for Israel at the time, to give you some context, is that when Jesus says that the Son of Man must suffer, like never before this moment had the suffering, had the suffering of the Messiah been attached to, to, the, Messiah, to the Messiah. Like suffering wasn't part of the prophecy, so to speak. 
Even though it was, in their mind, in Israel's mind, the Messiah would come, he would be victorious, and there would be no suffering, and for sure the Messiah wouldn't die. There's a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament that would tell that there's a servant of the Lord that was meant to suffer, right? Isaiah 43, 44, 53. But nobody before Jesus associated those texts with the hope of the Messiah. Like the notion that the Messiah had to suffer made no sense at all to them. Like that seemed ridiculous to them. How could someone defeat evil by suffering and dying? And so that's why Peter does what he does is because he's saying, no, that's not what's supposed to happen. Peter had been taught from a young age that when the Messiah came, he would defeat evil and injustice by ascending to the throne. Like, that's who the Messiah is supposed to be. But Jesus, what he's saying here, he says, yes, I'm the Messiah, I'm the king, but I came not to live but to die. Right? I'm not here to take power but to lose it. I'm not here to rule but to serve. The way in which I'm going to put everything right is to die. Right? I mean, that is so counterintuitive to Peter and the disciples and the crowds. That's why he does what he does. And Jesus actually sets him right. He says, hey, you're, you're not understanding again. You're thinking with the world's eyes, Peter. You are not grasping who I am. And Jesus goes in and says, if, if you think I'm the Messiah, I, I do need to die. And if you believe those things, the way in which you need to to do how to follow me is to take up your cross and die as well. So not only does Jesus say, I need to die, but he says, if you want to follow me into this, you need to die also, right? It even, it even digs deeper. And so in verse 34 through the end of the chapter, what we see here is Jesus calling the crowds to himself. And he says this, if any of you want to be my follower, and they're listening, okay, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and you must follow me. Right? He pulls the crowds over, and he tells them what it means to follow him. If you do believe that I am the Messiah, and you understand what that, what that has to do with you, then this is what it means for your own life. Because for most of the people that were following Jesus at that time that believed he was the Messiah, they thought they were like going to be riding into battle with him to defeat the Romans. I mean, they're just thinking like we're on top of the world. We're going to like beat these guys. I'm with the Messiah. I'm with the conquering king. We're going to ride in on these big horses and we're going to fix everything. They did not expect what Jesus was going to tell them here. Because this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm a king but I'm a king that's going to a cross. And if you want to follow me, you've got to come to the cross also. That's what he's saying here. See, when we confess Christ as Lord, what that means is that we must follow Jesus to crucifixion also. The apostle Paul understood this. He understood that following Jesus wasn't just this bed of roses that you were always joyful, that everything always worked out. But he knew that when you followed Jesus, it meant that you were following him also to, into his suffering. 
into his suffering that took place on the cross. And so when Paul was writing one of his letters to the church in Galatia, the book of Galatians that we have, he said this. He says, Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul literally says, in order to follow Jesus, what that means is I too need to be crucified with Christ. Not actually physically, because Christ did that for me to pay for my sins, even though some of these guys would go on to be martyred for their faith. But what he's saying here is he says that like, my life is Jesus's now. It's no longer my own. It's his, he's my Lord and I take orders from him now. I don't run my own life, Jesus does. That's what he's saying here. And Jesus goes in to talk about how what is a pro, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit our soul? Because he's trying to talk with him and, and really look into what this means. He's saying, in order to follow me, you need to give up yourself. You need to give up the things of the world. And what he's really getting down to, he's really getting down to the heart of the matter. And this idea is heavy. But it's so potent and relative to us because we live in such a consumeristic, get more society, right? And the way that we feel valuable, like the way that we feel like we've made it, the way that we, way that we feel like we're successful is if we like either have a bunch of stuff, right? We make a lot of money. We own a home. We're, we're so, you know, we have this certain position at our work or in some societies, it's I have a family and I have kids. These are the things a lot of times where we think this, this is what makes us valuable. This is what makes our life worth it. Or this is what life's about, right? You, you look at any, any ad, any magazine, any movie, and really, it, it's, it's trying to get us to have more and do more. It's a very performance-based, achievement-based society that we live in. And Jesus is confronting that head on. And he says, if you want to be saved, you need to give up those things. You need to give up those things. The idea of more possessions and stuff and influence and power is always going to be at the forefront of temptation for us. I mean, it is. I mean, constantly, like, we're bombarded with how much people have. There's this big article I just read about the, the CEO of, of Amazon right now just surpassed Bill Gates as the richest man in the world. $105 billion one guy has. And, and it was just this whole story, and there's this list of the top billionaires in the world, and, you know, you see those ads everywhere, but there's this, like, wow, and I want that, and only if I had it that we all have to struggle with. And it may not obviously be like, hey, let me be up there, but it can happen even in the subtle things, the real subtle things. That's why like coveting and, and being envious of things is so prevalent in our lives because we get so wrapped up with success and wealth and nice stuff. Nice stuff. What Jesus is not saying here is that we can't be successful can't be wealthy, or can't have nice stuff. He's not saying that in this text. But it's actually a matter of the heart. It's a matter of priorities, and actually it's a matter of allegiance. 
what Jesus is saying here is he says, I'm, I'm Christ. Actually, you said that to me. I'm the Messiah. That is right. I am Christ. I am Lord. And following me requires that you are willing to give up all that stuff for me. Are you willing to suffer, to sacrifice, and to obey me? Because what Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you actually need to deny yourself and what you want and no longer live for yourself, but you live for me in the cross. Much of the Christian life as a follower of Jesus is filled with surrender. If there's one thing I could say is like, what's the key to being a Christian? How can I grow? How can I obey Jesus? How can I do the right thing? How can I like please the Lord and honor God with my life? It's surrender to him. Like, just give up your rights and say, God, you know better. But I want this and I want that and that's going to be, it's like, no. Surrender everything to Jesus and come before him humbling, saying, God, you are God and I am not. So have your way with me. So it's surrendering, right? It's saying, it's not mine. It's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. It's coming before God with arms wide open on your knees saying, God, it's all about you. But then it's being willing to go, it's willing to say yes to what he says. It's willing to obey. Surrender and obedience. Man. But that's the hardest point, right? It's the hardest thing to like let go of what we want. Let go of of our selfish ambitions and let God. And then we feel like we've released and we're like, okay, we're good. And then God through his word or through his spirit, or he speaks to us something, and we're like, no, I just gave you up everything. I'm, I'm out. It's obedience. It's, it's taking up our cross, and it's following him. It's obeying what God has for us. And so following Christ is, is a total life change, actually. It's not just a mere, um, you know, I want to be a better person. I want to try harder. Oh, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. I go to church. I say the right things. I worship the songs. I give money in the box. Aren't I saved? Aren't I good? The, 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 you know, all my, my, quote, moral duties are done. But it's not just that. Because Jesus, what he's saying here is he's saying that it's not just like a simple, like, performance-based shift. It's not like, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to give up everything in the world, and I'm just going to be, like, a really, really good Christian now and do the right things. To follow Jesus is a deep heart work that comes from the root of who we are, saying, my life is no longer my own. It's in Christ. So when Paul says, you know what it means to follow Christ? It's to die with him daily. So when he wrote that letter to the Galatians, and he said, for me to live as Christ, or when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is at the root of what Jesus is getting at here when he's speaking to his disciples. And as followers, as we hear that, if there's one thing that we should strive to do, or there was one thing that we can take away from today, it's asking ourselves, am I doing that? At the root of who I am, looking through all my lenses of my, my time, my talent, and my treasure. Those are the things that God has given us, right? We have time, we've got skills and giftings and, and, and stuff you have, and then treasures, the, the stuff that God's given you, the money and the resources. With all those in mind, at the root of it, 
Are we denying ourselves and saying, God, this is all yours and I'll do whatever you want me to do with them? Then that gets pretty real. Because then we can really pick and choose. Well, I mean, really, Lord? I got to get rid of that or you don't want me to do that? But can I all, which we really try to justify and we try to, as the Bible would say, sometimes serve two masters, God and money, or the world and the Lord. And this is what Jesus is getting at here. He's, he's confronting the issue of who he is. And who he is has great effect on our own lives. And if we truly want to follow Jesus, we have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross. We have to follow him. I'm going to end with a quote from C.S. Lewis um, that really sums this up um, in a really beautiful way. He says this. He says, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and in him everything else thrown in. The reason why Jesus would go to the cross is because he loves us. Because he loved us. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die on a cross. And for us to now follow him, we don't merely want to do it out of surrender and obedience. It needs to be rooted in love. Because we love because you first loved us, Christ. We, we want to obey and we want to surrender because we love you because you first loved us. And so as we worship now and as we take this time to, to ponder and reflect what Jesus has said, because it's pretty in our face, it's pretty, it hits home in a lot of ways. I want to pray that the Lord would do a, a radical heart work in us, that we would be a people that surrender and say, God, I need you. I want this I want to take up my cross and follow you day in and day out. Let me, let me pray now. God, we thank you that you paid the price for our sins. That we did not have to. But you willingly went to the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, and so we could be with you for all of eternity. And God, we want to be a people that are fully committed and fully surrendered to who you are, Jesus. God, we are, I am first to admit that this is not easy, Lord. Our hearts are so wrapped up in this world and it is so hard to fully run after you and fully follow you. Would you help us today, Lord? Would you help us to surrender the things of this world and, and stop living for ourselves and living for our Father who is in heaven? 
We pray that you would do a deep heart work in us, Lord, as we worship you now. That you would meet us and that we would surrender things to you. We would give up our control and let you lead, Father. God, we, we really want to get this. We want to we clearly understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Would you help us to see what that means for us in our marriages, with our kids, with our friends, at our workplaces, with our time, talent, and treasure? God, would you show us what does it mean to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you in those areas? Would you give us insight? Would you teach us, Holy Spirit? Would you seal this work now? And as we worship you, God, we worship you for who you are and what you've done for us, that out of the love you had for us, you gave yourself up for us. We now want to give our lives to you. Amen.